If you want to pull out your phone or pull out your Bible and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4, our verses for today are 9 through 22. It's a little bittersweet because we've reached the end of 2 Timothy. If you're guests with us today, we've been working our way through this letter from the Apostle Paul. He's writing it from prison to his true son in the faith, Timothy. Not a biological son, but a true son in the faith, someone he loves very much. Unfortunately, the way that the Apostle Paul writes most of his letters is it reaches a peak in faith, and then the last verses are some shout-outs to people that you and I don't know. Uh, About uh, 17 years ago, Amanda and I had been married for less than a year. A friend of hers from high school was getting married down in Galveston. Uh, She was a bridesmaid. Amanda and I met in college, so she knows all of these high school friends. I have never met most of these high school friends. Uh, so we actually are going to spend the night at the hotel because it's going to be a late night. It's a big wedding. It's going to be a great celebration. But once the reception starts, I'm sitting at a table essentially alone. Amanda is off with her friends reuniting. She hasn't seen these people in a long time. Uh, no one is there at our table. Literally no one is there at our table. But it was about this time uh, 17 years ago. And so March Madness was on and uh, we have a hotel room upstairs. And I thought to myself, is it possible that I can sneak up there, watch some of the game, come back, say hey to her, So she thinks I'm in the room. Then go back up and pull this off. It was possible. I did it. It's the proudest I've ever been as a husband. She still doesn't know all these years later, so don't tell her. No, I'm kidding. She she knew. But it's uncomfortable and it's weird to be here and not know anybody, but everybody else seems to be knowing one another. That's what the end of this letter feels like. He's going to tell us all of these people. In fact, I brought a list so that just you would have some familiarity with these names before we actually jump into the scripture. You can see the list on the screen right here. There's Demas. He was a former ministry partner of Paul. Not anymore. Uh, Crescens. He's in Galatia. Titus is in Dalmatia. Luke is actually with Paul. Mark is going to be picked up by Timothy on the way to visit Paul in Rome. Tychicus is actually going to be the one who has this letter in his hands that delivers it to Timothy and then stays in Ephesus to replace Timothy while Timothy goes and visits Paul in Rome. Uh, There's Carpus who has Paul's coat. That's very specific. That will make more sense in just a second. There's Alexander who was a coppersmith. There's Priscilla and Aquila uh, who were ministry partners of the Apostle Paul. If you're a married couple, you want to imitate... Priscilla and Aquila. Uh, Prisca is a shortened version of Priscilla. What's interesting is they're mentioned uh, six times in the New Testament. Four of the times she's mentioned first is because Bible scholars believe that she was uh, the more uh, full personality. Uh, She was the the teacher of the two. And so when they would go and explain the gospel to people in different places, she was probably the one taking the lead and he was the support there. And if you're a married couple, you know that one of you probably is the talker and the other is the I'm glad to be here person. And so Bible scholars believe she was actually the teacher. She was the leader, the talker when it came to explaining the gospel, but they were definitely definitely in it together, and they were good friends of the Apostle Paul. In fact, in one of the cities where uh, Paul had not started a church yet, or there really wasn't up and under, uh, up and on its way, and there was no support for him financially, so he had to go and get a job. He started making tents with 
Priscilla and Aquila. They were good friends. There's the household of Onesiphorus. Onesiphorus is mentioned earlier in this letter of 2 Timothy. Uh, He's actually with Paul or has recently left Paul and is on his way back home. So he says to Timothy, make sure that you give a shout out to Onesiphorus' family. There's Aristus, who's at Corinth. Trophimus, who's sick at Miletus, and Eubulus, Pudens, Linus, and Claudia. They are all actually Christians in Rome and have visited the Apostle Paul on occasion. And they're saying hello to Timothy through Paul. Let's read verse 9. Make every effort to come to me soon, because Demas has deserted me since he loved this present world and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia, only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you, for he is useful to me in the ministry. I have sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak I left in Troas with Carpus, as well as the scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did great harm to me. The Lord will repay him according to his works. Watch out for him yourself, because he strongly opposed our words." At my first defense, no one stood by me, but everyone deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that I might fully preach the word and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil work and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Aristus has remained at Corinth. I left Trophimus sick at Miletus. Make every effort to come before winter. Eubulus greets you, as do Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers and sisters. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you all. He says in verse 9, make every effort to come to me soon. The reason is because of what he's just said in the previous paragraph, verse 6. I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time for my departure is close. Paul's saying in this letter, I know that this prison sentence isn't going to end in anything but my release into the full kingdom of God. I'm going to give my life as a martyr for Jesus' sake. I know this is going to happen. So, Timothy, I want you to visit me before that happens. Come quickly. It probably would have taken Timothy three to four months to get from Ephesus where he was to Rome where Paul was in prison. So you're going to have to start this journey pretty quick. Also, I want you to make every effort to come to me soon because, verse 10, Demas has deserted me since he loved this present world and has gone to Thessalonica. Now, what's interesting about Demas is he's mentioned two other places in the New Testament in sections of Paul's letter like this in the shout out section. The first was in Colossians chapter 4 and then in the small little New Testament book of Philemon. Because Demas was a ministry ministry and missionary friend of the Apostle Paul. They were in it together. But now something has changed in Demas and he was in Rome with Paul. But now he has deserted him and gone back to his home probably in Thessalonica. And it says that the reason he did this was because of his love for the present world. If you look up one verse... To verse 8, Paul talks about the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. So in the sentence before, he says that everyone who loves the appearing of Jesus, meaning everyone who is excited and welcoming and living according to the return of Jesus, will receive a crown of righteousness. And then in the next sentence, he says, Demas has not loved the appearing of Christ, but has in fact loved this present world. 
Because you can't love both of those things at the same time. The appearing of Jesus and the present world. You can't love the here and now and be excited about what's to come. You just have to make a choice. And for most of us, it's an unconscious choice. We don't wake up in the morning with our cup of coffee and think, I think I'm going to love the present world today. I think I'm going to love the appearing of Jesus. It's an unconscious choice based on what we've been feeding our minds and our hearts most recently. And and Demas is not after worldly gain, most likely. He's not thinking, you know what I'd really like is I I don't want to work for Jesus anymore. I want to work for a mansion. I want to work for something really nice. I want to work for riches. Probably there came a point where visiting the Apostle Paul in prison and being with him there put Demas at risk. Where people started to think, well, maybe you should be in this prison cell with him. And Demas said, no, I'm not. I mean, I'm with you, Paul, but I'm not with you like that. And, and he just slipped back to Thessalonica. You know what's interesting about Judas? When we read about Judas in the early sections of the gospel, we know what's going to happen. We know he's going to betray Jesus. And so we just read that in to the references to him earlier on when Jesus is inviting him to be a disciple. We think to ourselves, why would he do that? Because he's going to betray Jesus. Or when he's mentioned in a few places throughout the gospels, we just already know this is going to happen. But Judas didn't know he was Judas until he was Judas. When he agreed to follow Jesus, he was idealistic. He had a vision. He was excited about it, the same as Peter, James, and John. But at some point, Judas chose his own self-interest over the interest of Jesus. And that's what Demas has done. Demas didn't know he was Demas. When he's getting a shout-out in Colossians and in Philemon, he's all in. But then at some point, he chose his self-interest. So if Judas didn't know he was Judas, and Demas didn't know he was Demas, how do we know who we are? I mean, I'd like to assume I'm all in for the rest of my life, but what if there comes a moment where I choose self-interest over the interest of Jesus, and, and you do too? So Paul says to Timothy, I need you to come because Demas has chosen love of the present world instead of love for Jesus appearing. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Paul was upset about what Demas has done, but he probably sent Crescens and Titus to these places to strengthen the churches there. They're they're on assignment. They're still away from Paul and he misses them, but they're at least where they should be. Only Luke is with me. Now what's interesting is we know that's not true because at the end of this letter he says, if you remember Eubulus greets you, as do Pudens, Linus, Claudia. I don't think we're going to have any more children in our family, but if we did, I think Pudens Jones is strong. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if that's a boy's name or a girl's name. I'm, I don't know Latin, but uh, either way, I think that would, child would have a really bright future. <laughs> so Pudens and Linus and Claudia. I mean, there are not very many names that can make Linus sound like a contemporary name, but Pudens does. So we know these guys are with Paul because Paul's saying, hey, Timothy, Pudens, you remember him slash her, says hello. So why does he say only Luke is with me? Because the first names that he's mentioning here, 
Demas, Luke, Titus, Crescens, they're his ministry team. Uh, They're not just his friends. They were his ministry partners. When Paul went out, these guys went with him. And so he's saying to Timothy, of our team, only Luke is here with me. And I would really like you to come as well. And when you do, bring Mark with you, for he is useful to me in the ministry. If any of you have ever needed a second chance, Mark is your guy. Because there was a time earlier in Paul's life that he said, I'm not working with Mark. Because he took Mark along on his first missionary journey when he was starting those churches for the very first time. And halfway through their trip, Mark goes back home. And Paul did not forget it. So when they started their second missionary round, his friend Barnabas says, well, Mark's going to come with us. And Paul says, no, 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 he's not. No, he abandoned us. If you abandon Paul, he remembers it. (laughs) Barnabas says, no, I believe in a second chance. I believe that Mark is worth taking. In fact, Paul and Barnabas have such a fierce disagreement over Mark that they split up. Will you guys go your way? And I'm going to take Silas and we're going to go our way. But now all of these years later, Mark has one trust with Paul again because he says something that he would not have said those years before. Mark is useful to me in ministry. Verse 12, and I have sent Tychicus to Ephesus. As I mentioned, he was the, the, Paul's courier. He brought this letter to Timothy. He brought the letter to the Colossians and he brought the letter to the Ephesians. And he will probably replace Timothy there in Ephesus. Why Timothy goes to visit Paul in Rome, Tychicus will hold his place. Verse 13, when you come, bring the cloak I left in Troas with Carpus. About five years ago, this jacket appeared in our home. It wasn't mine. It wasn't Amanda's. So when our babysitters came over, we said to them, hey, is this, this is your jacket? And all of them said, no, not our jacket. So we couldn't figure out whose jacket was and, and left a, unless a thief came in to our house, didn't steal anything and actually left a gift. That's the Lord's jacket. He, he must have brought it with him into our home. We, we don't know where this jacket has come from, but I have it five years later because I know the second that I give it away, I'm going to get a text message and say, hey, do you have my jacket? And, and I'm going to be honest, sometimes I wear it. I mean, I don't know at what point, like this is not their jacket anymore, it's just my jacket. I wonder if Carpus felt the same way, like Paul left his cloak here. I'm going to try it on, I'm going to put it on, I'm going to wear it. You know, did he, did it have, was like a shrine, did he make sure nobody touched it? Did he think about giving it away? It would have been like a wool poncho, if you can think of poncho, but made of wool. That's what this cloak would have been. And it must have been pretty important to the Apostle Paul, because he's written some pretty serious things in this letter. And oh, by the way, will you swing by Troas and pick up my coat? But not just my coat, as well as the scrolls, especially the parchment. Uh, Bible scholars believe that this would have been uh, loose pieces of paper, not like paper that we know paper, but like pieces of parchment that would have contained uh, a lot of the Old Testament. It would have contained the stories of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus, and then probably Paul's personal records, his personal notes, the places he had started churches, uh, the people in those places that had come to Christ. These were very precious to him, and so he wants Timothy to swing by Troas, which may or may not have been convenient in between Ephesus and Rome. But he says, I really want you to bring me these things. 
And then he mentions this person, Alexander. Alexander the coppersmith did great harm to me, and the Lord will repay him according to his works. Watch out for him yourself, because he is strongly opposed uh, to our words. So it's interesting that the Apostle Paul left his coat and he left his parchments. And those parchments would have been really important to him. So Bible scholars take these pieces and, and they start weaving a story together that we can't know for sure, but it makes a lot of sense to me. Um, the Apostle Paul goes to Troas and, and he's preaching the gospel there, he's strengthening the Christians there. But Alexander is a coppersmith and that coppersmith probably made idols for people to worship out of copper. But when people start to respond to Jesus Christ, you don't have to worship idols anymore. So Alexander's pocketbook would have started to be effective. And that's really where persecution uh, comes. When Christianity is a minority religion in a place, which it was in the the religious empire, it's causing a lot of chaos, which it was in the Roman Empire, and then someone's pocketbook is being affected. Alexander says, I've had enough of this. And he reports to Rome... And to the Roman authorities, this is the ringleader of all that chaos that's happening in your empire. Because it was a small handful of believers, but God was really using them. And Rome wanted peace across its empire. Not because they were peace-loving people, but because when there was peace in all of these territories, it means they had to send less soldiers and less government officials. It saved them money. So they put down any agents of chaos inside their empire. And Alexander, who's been affected because he can't sell his idols anymore says to them, this is the guy you're looking for. And so they come and they swoop in and they take Paul pretty quickly, causing him to leave his coat and to leave his parchments. And so now he wants Timothy to swing by Troas and get both. But he says to Timothy, avoid Alexander. Don't mess with him. Don't confront him. Don't try to change his mind. Don't try to win him. Just leave him alone. Get in and get to Rome. Verse 16, at my first defense, no one stood by me, but everyone deserted me. This would have been like a grand jury. Is there enough evidence to keep Paul in prison? And Paul looked around his grand jury trial, and there was no one there to advocate for him. There was no friend standing with him. May it not be counted against them. I think all of us can relate to this. No matter who you are, all of us feel alone. Your, Your work makes you feel alone. Your situation makes you feel alone. No one understands you. No one knows the whole story. No one knows what it's like to be you. But God can do really something special when we feel alone like that. Verse 17, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that I might fully preach the word and all the Gentiles might hear it. That's a lesson that you can only learn when you feel alone. That Jesus is with me. Ideally, that would be great if we could learn that Jesus is with us when we're also surrounded with joy and people that love us and care for us and are taking care of us. But unfortunately, most of us can't learn that lesson that way. We end up focusing on the people we can see and touch and feel and we forget the most important person that we can't see. I mean, even Jesus may have needed to learn that lesson after he was baptized. But before he starts his public ministry, you remember he spends 40 days in the wilderness, fasting, praying, not not eating. At the end of that 40 days, the Satan comes to him, the devil comes to him and, and tempts him. 
But for 40 days he was alone, alone and isolated. And the scripture tells us that it was actually God's spirit that led him out into the wilderness. So he didn't just wander out there. He didn't just think, oh, this is a good idea. God's will was for him to be alone for 40 days and 40 nights. I think to teach him this lesson, you are not alone. You may feel alone at some point in the next three years. But you are not alone because Jesus' popularity and the acceptance of him and his message would wax and wane. Sometimes he was beloved and sometimes he was rejected. But what he needed to know, what we need to know, is that God is always with us. And unfortunately, that's a lesson most of us can only learn when we feel alone. And God strengthened him so that what, he might enjoy this present world? No, that he might fully preach the word and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil work and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I think it's interesting that he uses the word rescue, but he knows he's going to die. I mean, he's already said, I'm a drink that's poured out. I've finished my race. The race is over. The only thing left for me is to receive my crown of righteousness, my reward, my medal. My life is over. But he believes he's going to be rescued. For most of us, to be rescued by God means that I don't have to endure what's what's staring at me. And if we did have to endure it, we wouldn't count it as a rescue. But that's how present God's heavenly kingdom was in Paul's mind and in his life. That he says, no, to be rescued isn't to make, to give me more time here. That's not a rescue. To be rescued is to, to be moved, to be delivered to that heavenly kingdom. And it's so present with him, he just breaks out in praise. To him be the glory forever and ever, exclamation mark. Amen. Greet Prisca and Aquila in the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus has remained at Corinth. I left Trophimus sick at Miletus. Make every effort to come before winter. I spent some time on some yachting message boards this week, as people do. Yachts, you know, yachts. Um, No, I'm just kidding. People don't do that. Unless you have a yacht. And what I wanted to know on those message boards is do people yacht around the Mediterranean Sea during the winter? Because Paul wants him to come before the winter. And turns out, I know that you were dying to know this, you can yacht on the Mediterranean in winter in 2019. But you couldn't in the first century because we have these amazing devices called phones and on your yacht you of course have wireless internet and you can log in to check the weather. You could have always sailed around the Mediterranean Sea no matter what year it was if you knew what the weather was going to be like. But in the winter these storms suddenly come up and if you are on a storm in the Mediterranean Sea in the winter it's bad news. In fact if you've been following any of the refugee crisis that's happening between Africa, the coast of Africa and and Europe, many refugees have died in shipwrecks because of these storms. So what you could do now is you could just check the weather before you leave port. Oh, there's a storm coming. We're going to stay here for a few more days. Or there's a storm coming. We better find a port pretty quickly. But in the first century, they had no way of knowing that. So they just wouldn't sail in the winter. And Paul wants Timothy to hurry up so he doesn't get trapped by the winter. Because then it would be spring by the time that he could get to Paul. And Paul doesn't know how much time that he has left. So he says, make every effort to come before winter. 
Eubulus greets you, as do Putin's Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers and sisters. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you all. I wonder what emotions Paul was feeling when he finished this letter. I mean, this is his... This is as close to a son as he ever had. The the Monday of spring break, I took my son, Jackson, who's 13, to Six Flags. That's where we got him for his birthday. So it was just he and I, and we we drove down to San Antonio's three-hour drive. And, you know, he's a middle school boy. So, you know, he wasn't a chatterbox the whole time. I don't know about your middle school boys. But we had this great mix of uh, headphones. We'd talk. We'd listen to something together. Headphones, talk. You know, just, just hanging out. And then we got to Six Flags and... And uh, we rode all the roller coasters. That's all they have at Six Flags, by the way, just roller coasters. And what I realized that day is there is an age in which those roller coasters are not quite as fun as they (laughs) once were. And I'm not there all the way yet, but I'm close. It's coming for me. And we had a great time, and then we uh, drove back home. And You know, it wasn't anything special, but if, if you told me that I might not see him again, well, that would fill me with a lot of emotions. And that's what Paul is feeling when he writes this letter. I mean, he's super excited about where he's going. Can't wait to get into the kingdom, actually. But he's saying to Timothy, we just hurry and just, just come on. Because isn't that how you'd want to go? Surrounded with the people that you love the most and his message to Timothy all the way through is I have done my part now it's your turn to do your part Paul says I have finished the race now my son it's your turn to finish the race no matter who comes in your life or who goes out of your life No matter whether your friends are here or you're there or everywhere. No matter where people accept you or people reject you. I have finished the race. Now you've finished the race. I mean, that's really the whole point of 2 Timothy. No matter what happens, we don't give up. We keep on going. The prize is worth it. Let's pray.